All right, we're going to begin today in Matthew chapter 6 and move our way to Genesis 28. So you, you've heard the uh, saying, and a lot of people have mistaken this for Scripture, but there are people who say, well, God helps those who help themselves. And it's true, but it's not in the Scripture. So I'm going to split this sermon up, and the first half is going to be God helps those, and the second half of the sermon is going to be who help themselves. So today's Torah portion is Vayetze, and it means when he went out, and it's taken from Genesis chapter 28, verse 10, going all the way to chapter 32, verse 3. But I would like to open up our um, reading today in Matthew chapter 6 and relate it to the Torah portion uh, in Genesis 28. So before we go any further, I'm going to have a blessing, a scriptural blessing over the reading of the word. I've esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on this law does he meditate day and night. I will delight myself in thy statutes, and I will not forget thy word. Deal bountifully with thy servant, that I may live, and keep thy word. Open thou mine eyes, that I might behold wondrous things out of your law. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. All right, so Matthew chapter 6, beginning with uh, verse 25, and we're going to be reading all the way to verse 34. So these are some kind of lengthy passages. So it says, So I say to you, now this is Yeshua, this is Jesus talking, this is uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon, and so it, it spans several chapters. But he says, so I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your Father in heaven feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour? to his life. And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Now, I don't know about you, but being a student of the scripture, I get a little annoyed when people mean well, and then they try to quote scripture to me that I already know, thinking it'll make me feel better, but really it makes me want to punch him in the face. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going through some trials and tribulations. Well, you know, Brother Chris, you know, that, that we can't worry about our life. We can't add one cubit to our life or, or, or the Lord's going to provide. If he provides for the sparrow, he's going to provide for you. And I know that. And then there's a part of me that, that, that really wants to take that in and say, I appreciate that. But then there's another part. It's like, yeah, but you're not the one going through this. And I want to just punch somebody in the face. That's just my hum fallen human nature, right? So uh, sometimes when you're, it's almost as if we have these, a script, you know, like a, like a telemarketer has a script and then they go by that script. So whenever something goes wrong, we have scriptural scripts that we like to throw out to each other. Well, you know what the word says, brother. And uh, anyway, so, uh, oh, don't be afraid to quote scripture to me because I really won't punch you in the face. <laughs> all right. So uh, verse 29, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Now, if this 
Now, if in this way God clothes the grass, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the pagans eagerly pursue all these things, yet your Father in heaven knows that you need all of these. I love this verse, verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So if we make our priority the word of God and living right, then God will by default automatically take care of us. Not that we never have to come to him for our needs or whatever, but he's already, he's already working on our behalf even before we ask. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Now, I don't know about you, but my dad would always tell me, well, Chris, why are you worrying about, why are you borrowing trouble? That's what he would say. Why are you borrowing trouble? And then he quoted this verse. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So you don't need to borrow trouble from tomorrow. Just worry about today, one day at a time. Now, God helps those who help themselves, right? So we're on the God helps those. So we just kind of read this, read this part here. So let's go to Genesis chapter 28. And let's dig into our Torah portion for a little bit. So Genesis chapter 28, starting at verse 16. So basically what's happened here is Jacob, Jacob is on his way to Laban's at this point. That's his uncle. That's his mother's brother. And he's a shyster. He's not a very nice guy. He likes to, he likes to uh, you know, if he's going to help somebody, he's got to have something in it for himself in order to help somebody. So in Genesis chapter 28, beginning with verse 16, is that, did I write down the wrong passage? Because there is no 32. Yeah, there is. Okay. All right. No, that's 22. Okay. Let's just go with it. All right, because remember, I have this calculus. Sometimes numbers flip-flop on me here. Yeah, starting at verse 16. Let me just double-check something here. Okay, yep, I think this is it. All right, so, Jacob woke up from his sleep and said, Undoubtedly, Adonai is in this place, and I was unaware. So he was afraid and said, How fearsome is this place? Now, let me give you a little back background on this place. When you're introduced to this passage, it says that he, verse uh, 11, that he happened upon a certain place. This certain place was a very particular place. And according to rabbinic tradition, this place was the place where uh, Abraham offered up Isaac. This is, uh, you know, this is Mount Moriah. This is the place. This would be the future place where the temple would be built. So uh, it was a certain place. It was special. It was a place where God met his people. So it says, Jacob woke up from, this play, from, uh, from his sleep. And this is after having that vision of the ladder, right? The ladder extending from heaven to earth or earth to heaven, however you want to say it. Angels ascending and descending and God standing by it. 
So it says, Jacob woke up from his sleep and said, Undoubtedly, Adonai is in this place, and I was unaware. So he was afraid and said, How fearsome this place is. This is none other than the house of God. And that's where we get the name Bethel. This must be the gate of heaven. So this is the portal. This is the gateway to heaven. And very special things happen there where uh, Abraham offered up Isaac, where the future temple would be built. I mean, so no wonder it's called the gateway to God. Verse 18, early in the morning, Jacob got up and took the stone, which he had placed by his head, and he set it up as a memorial stone and poured oil on top of it. Now, this, according to rabbinic tradition, one of the, the stone that he took to do this was part of the stone that was used to build the altar that Isaac was to be sacrificed on. So it was in the family. It was already sacred. It was already holy. It was all already special. Verse 19, he called the name of that place Bethel, though originally the city was named Luz. Yeah, I like Bethel better. Luz just doesn't have that flair, right? Then Jacob made a vow. Okay, so he, he's making a promise to the Lord here. Jacob made a vow saying, I don't particularly like this translation where it says if. Is it correct? Yes. This particular Hebrew word can be if. But I don't like the fact that it makes Jacob seem, mm, I'm kind of on the fence about God, kind of on the fence about his love and protection. So I'm going to play it safe and just say if. This word could also be translated since. I think it should be since because God has already proven himself to Jacob by this point. So I think it should say, since God will be with me and watch over me on this way that I am going and provide me food to eat and clothing to wear, and I return in shalom and peace to my father's house, then Adonai will be my God. So this stone, which I set up as a memorial stone, will become God's house. And there's already a prophecy that this is going to be the temple of God. This is where the temple is going to be built. So this stone, which I set up as a memorial stone, will become God's house. There are some rabbis and scholars believe that the stone that's in, Mecca, that's in uh, the Temple Mount, where the Kaaba is, where the Muslims worship. Now, the Muslims believe that this stone was a meteorite that came down out of heaven, and it's holy and sacred. But there's some rabbis saying, no, 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 this is the stone that, that Jacob used. That's what this stone is. Do we know for sure? No, but I just think it's a very interesting and intriguing theory. So this stone, which I set up as a memorial stone, will become God's house. And everything you provide me, I will definitely give a tenth of it to you. So here we see that the tithe has been instituted. I mean, it was instituted with Abraham, really, when Abraham offered uh, Melchizedek a tenth of all, all the spoils. He gave a tithe to Melchizedek, which was the priest of the Lord. But here, uh, Jacob is saying, since God's going to be my God and provide everything, whatever he gives me, I'm going to give him 10% back. So I want to focus in on this verse where it's uh, verse 20, because this verse 20 totally directly relates to Matthew chapter 6. Then Jacob made a vow saying, since God will be with me and watch over me on this way that I'm going, what does it say he's going to provide for him? Food, food and clothes, food to eat and clothes to wear. Verse 21 also talks about protection. It, it alludes to or hints about protection because it says, and I return in peace. 
In other words, I returned safe and sound to my father's house. So what was Yeshua preaching on, on, you know, with the Sermon on the Mount? He was telling everybody, don't worry about your food. Don't worry about your clothes. Don't worry about the things that you stand in need of. If you focus on me, you focus on my righteousness and my kingdom here on earth, then I'm going to automatically provide all these things for you. And we see Jacob basically saying the exact same thing. God had showed up in a miraculous way through this vision, through this dream. So he is already admitting, okay, God is great. He just revealed himself to me in this dream. So I have no doubt that he's going to take care of me. You know, I believe he's going to provide food for me to eat and clothes to wear. Why was he so concerned at this point about food and clothes? Because at this moment, he was penniless. He didn't have, he didn't bring anything with him. Why? Because he had to leave so quickly. Because right after receiving the blessing from Isaac, Esau came in. And it's like, oh, that dastardly, dirty dog. He stole my blessing. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to murderize him. You know, and so he had to split and leave, and he went to Laban, uh, his uncle, for safety and also to get a wife. So that's why he didn't have time to even pack anything. And so that's why he's concerned about food and clothes, because all he has is the clothes on his back. All he had was whatever he brought with him or whatever he's been able to eat along the way. So he says, since God will be with me and watch over me on this way, that I'm going and provide me food to eat and clothes to wear, and I return in peace to my father's house, because that's the ultimate goal. He wasn't supposed to be gone from home forever. His mom, Rebecca, basically said, go to Laban, wait till your brother cools off, and I'll send for you. But unfortunately, he never got to see his mother again because of that. And really, it was his mother's fault, because his mother was the one who said, dress up like Esau and get the blessing. Uh, okay. Then Adonai will be my God. All right. So, this is all about God helps those. Now we're going to move on to who helped themselves. And let's turn to Genesis chapter 30. This is kind of in the middle of our Torah portion this week. Genesis chapter 30, beginning with verse 25. So here... Jacob is outwitting Laban. Laban has already been d dirty, dastardly, deceitful, underhanded. Because after all, you know, he says, hey, you're my flesh and blood. What, you know, should you work for me for free? What, what do you want for your wages? He's like, oh, I, I want your daughter, Rachel. I, you know, I'll work for, you know, to, to have her hand in marriage, I'll work for you. So for seven years, he works to get, he works to obtain uh, Rachel. But here's the bait and switch. Laban replaces Rachel with Leah. Out and, and, and he's like, wait, wait, what did you do? I didn't, I wasn't, I'm not working for her. I'm working for Rachel. Why did you let me have Leah instead? Now people will say, well, how could he not know? Several reasons. Number one, Rachel and Leah were twins, although Leah was probably albino. In other words, she suffered from albinism like her father Laban because Laban means white. And it says Leah had weak eyes. Well, weak eyes, who has weak eyes? People who suffer from albinism have sensitivity to light. They have weak eyes. So I believe that, that that's why she was less desirable because she wasn't the, you know, dark, exotic, you know, woman that Rachel was. But yet they still looked alike despite their coloration difference. Not only that, the marriage took place at night. 
Not only that, she was heavily veiled. Not only that, according to tradition, Laban switched the handmaids. So because he saw a certain handmaid with Leah, uh, uh, he automatically thought it was Rachel. So that's probably, you know, why that there was that, how that went down. So in verse 25 of chapter 30, it says, Now it was after Rachel gave birth to Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away so that I can go to my place and to my land and give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me go. For you yourself know my labor and that I have served you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, I've looked for good omens, and Adonai has blessed me because of you. Jacob was nothing more than a cash cow for Laban. He didn't want to let Jacob go because, you know, really, Laban had nothing when Jacob came. After all, his daughter Rachel was tending the sheep, and the sheep couldn't have been too many because usually it's a very rare thing that women are shepherds. And here, Rachel, which ironically her name means lamb, she was tending Laban's flock. So at this point, I think only Rachel and Leah were born. Laban would have sons later because if he had sons, he would have put his sons in charge of the sheep instead of his daughter. So I think those sons came later. So I think he just only had a handful of sheep, maybe 10 to 30, a very manageable number. And so since Jacob has been with him over the past 14 years, his flocks had just a population explosion. So he's a rich man. Jacob made him rich. And so it's, he's a cash cow. So he says, but Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your eyes, I've looked for good omens, and Adonai has blessed me because of you. Moreover, he said, name your own price and I'll pay it. Yeah, right. We see later that he changed his wages ten times. Verse 29, then he said to him, you yourself know I've served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had very little before I came. And it, is, uh, and it has been busting at the seams in abundance. So Adonai blessed you with my every step. So now, when, I myself am going, when am I myself going to make something for my household also? He says, everything I've been doing is for you. You're rich because of me, but I got to be my own man. I got to make my living. I got to provide for my family because I'm not going to be living with you forever. What, what, what are you going to do for me? Verse 31, then he said, what shall I pay you? And Jacob said, you don't need to pay me anything. If you will do this one thing for me, I will shepherd your flock again and watch and watch it. Now here, Jacob employs his wits, his smarts, and outsmarts Laban because what Jacob is about to say makes him look like an idiot. Makes it look like that Laban is going to get the upper hand. So he says, you don't need to pay me anything. If you'll do this one thing for me, I will shepherd your flock again and watch over it. Let me pass through your flock today and remove every colorful spotted lamb from there and every dark colored lamb among the sheep, as well as the colorful spotted among the goats, and that will be my salary. So tomorrow, my honesty will testify on my behalf when you come to check on my salary you agree to. Everyone that isn't colorful spotted among the goats or dark colored among the sheep with me is stolen. So Laban said, all right. Now notice, what sheep does Laban get? What color were they? White. 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 What's Laban's name mean? White. white. Isn't that cool? Mr. White gets the white sheep. <laughs> so Laban said, all right. May it be according to your word. 
On that day, he removed the colorful striped and colorful billy goats, as well as the colorful spotted goats, everyone with white, uh, everyone with white on it, and every dark-colored one among the lambs, and he put them in the hand of his sons. So all of Jacob's are now with his sons. Jacob isn't tending his own flock yet. All right, so this is why it seems like a good deal for Laban. Then he put three days' journey between them and Jacob, while Jacob was shepherding Laban's remaining flock. So all that Jacob had to work with was the white animals. So how likely is it that the white animals are going to produce multicolored, striped, and polka-dotted, you know, colorful lambs? Yeah, but not likely at all. Laban's like, this guy's a rube. But Jacob took fresh white poplar, almond and plain tree branches, peeled away white stripped sections on them, exposing the white of the branches. So he removed the bark and, and, and showed the white wood underneath the dark bark. Then he set the branches he had peeled in front of the flocks in the drinking troughs and the watering channels where the flocks come to drink. Since they were in heat, when they came to drink, the flocks mated near the branches and the flocks gave birth. These white sheep, these white goats gave birth to striped, spotted, and colorful ones. Now Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped ones, as well as the dark-colored ones among Laban's flock. Then he set aside the herd for himself and did not put them with Laban's flock. So whenever the strong flocks mated, Jacob put the branches in the watering troughs before the eyes of the flock and made them mate near the branches. But when the flocks were sickly, he did not put the branches down. So the sickly ones became Laban's and the stronger ones became Jacob's. And the man grew exceedingly prosperous and had numerous flocks among the female and male servants, uh, camels and donkeys. So we see Jacob start building his fortune right now. And basically what Jacob was employing was worldly wisdom. There's no evidence that there was any special revelation from God that God told him what to do to increase his flocks. This was things that have been going on since ancient times, folk remedies, folk medicine, folk, uh, folk art, if you will. So basically, it's believed that animals, as well as human beings, are very susceptible to the power of suggestion. That's, that's, how, that's how mentalists can play tricks on people. Have you ever watched anybody, a, a mentalist, perform? Like on the Roku channel, there's, uh, I forget the guy's name, Lori or Laura or something like that, but he's a mentalist and he works with famous people. So I saw this episode with him and Ben Stiller, and he was able to make it look as if he read Ben Stiller's mind and was able to predict what Ben Stiller would say or think or do. When that's not the case at all, he just used the power of suggestion to make the outcome look like he was psychic. So uh, um, Ben Stiller was supposed to come up with these numbers. Oh, name a number between 1 and 10. And all the time, that number was in that room with Ben Stiller. So subconsciously, Ben Stiller saw that number and said, I'm going to choose that number. He didn't say it consciously, but he did. So these numbers, you flip the numbers upside down, it spells out the name Ben Stiller. And Ben Stiller's all freaking out because like, wow, how did he do that? The power of suggestion, being a mentalist. So the power of suggestion of these branches, these stripped branches, while the, the animals were mating, caused them you know, to give birth to animals that looked like what they were seeing before them as they mated. It's kind of the same thing that if, you know, and this has been done before, the power of suggestion, if I come up to somebody and say, 
Hey, you feeling all right? Yeah, yeah, I feel pretty good. Well, you don't look so good. You look a little peaked. Then it gets the person to start thinking. Then you have somebody else come along later and say, hey, man, you, you don't look so good. Are you feeling all right? Well, yeah, I'm feeling fine. You get another person come to them. Are, are, do you got a fever or something? Are you sick? Well, why you ask? Well, you just don't look so good. By the end of the day, that person's feeling bad. Because of the power of suggestion. Well, well they think I'm feeling bad. They say I look bad, so maybe I'm sick. Maybe something's wrong with me. So it's kind of the same thing with the power of suggestion with uh, these, these mating animals. Uh, all right, so now Matthew 10, 16, I'll just quote this. It says, therefore, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. That doesn't sound too good. This is Jesus sending his disciples out. I am sending you out as sheep. In other words, you're going to look vulnerable. You're going to look like people can take advantage of you. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So people who see you think that they're going to be able to take advantage of you, roll you over, do bad things to you. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be as wise as serpents. In other words, you may look innocent. You may look vulnerable, but you got your street smarts about you. Be as wise as serpents, yet harmless as doves. Don't use that knowledge you have to harm other people. You can take care of yourself. I've equipped you to take care of yourself, even though you look vulnerable and like weak. And aren't most, pe most people portray religious people as weaklings? That's the way you see it on TV. Like they're stupid, they're backwater, they're weaklings. But yet, spiritual people... Religious people, so to speak, are some of the most strongest people. They make it through cancer. They make it through trials and tribulations and the death of loved ones in their lives without having to turn to the needle or turn to the bottle or whatever. So Jesus is already setting up his people to say, look, you're to, be, you're to use your power wisely. Don't use it to hurt or harm other people. Even though people are going to try to take advantage of you all the time, take advantage of your kindness because, you know, our, our whole faith is built on love and obedience, right? So that sets us up for Luke chapter 16. So we're on the help who help themselves part. God helps those who help themselves. Now we're on the help help themselves part. So we've seen in our in uh, Genesis chapter 30 where Jacob was helping himself. He was using the worldly wisdom and smarts about him in order to to take advantage over Laban. But he wasn't being underhanded. He wasn't doing anything sinful, wrong, or deceitful. He was just employing the smarts that he knew. There's nothing wrong with that. And so in Luke chapter 16, before we, uh, while you're going there, think about the Apostle Paul, Rav Shul. Everybody knows that he sat under the feet of Gamaliel, one of the most famous rabbis in history. He's, he, Gamaliel is even recorded in the New Testament scriptures as saying a few things, and very wise things at that. But not only that, Paul was a well-read man. He was also learned in Greek philosophy because on Mars Hill, he was able to philosophize with the philosophers. And they listened to him. If he was an idiot and didn't know what he was talking about, they wouldn't have listened to him. But he was well-versed in poetry because he even quotes some, some pagan poet to top that off. And he starts philosophizing. And then in, I think it's uh, one of the letters to the Corinthians, he says, you know, to the Jew I became a Jew, to the Greek I became Greek, to those under the law I became as that, to those not under the law I became as that. I become all things to all men that I might save some. In other words, he's saying, I'm getting down on their level. And I'm speaking to them the truth of the gospel in a way that they get it, in a way that they understand. Because if I went in the Jewish way to a Gentile, they're not going to understand it. 
and vice versa. So we're to be well-read. We are not to be ignorant or stupid of the, of the ways of the world, so to speak. So in Luke chapter 16, Yeshua is telling a, a parable, giving a parable. Now Yeshua was also saying to the disciples, so this is a private session. This isn't he's speaking this in public. He's speaking this to his students. There was a rich man who had a household manager, and this manager was accused of squandering his belongings. So he called the manager and said to them, what's this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. In other words, get your, get your business affairs in order, tie up any loose ends because I'm firing you. You're fired. Then the manager said to himself, what, what shall I do since my master is, is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm, I'm too ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. So that when I'm put out of management, others uh, will welcome me into their homes. So he called each one of his master's debtors, and he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, 100 units of olive oil. The manager said to them, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? He said, 100 units of wheat. The manager said to him, Take your bill and write 80. Now the master praised the crooked manager because he had acted shrewdly for the sons of this age or the sons of this world, other translations say, are smarter when dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. I say to you, make friends for yourself from the wealth of the world. So when it runs out, they will welcome you in to eternal shelters. One who is faithful in the smallest matters is faithful in much. And the one unjust is the, in the smallest matters will likewise be unjust in much. So then, if you cannot be trusted with unjust wealth, who will trust you with true wealth? Now, if you have not been trustworthy with what belongs to another, who will give you anything of your own? No servant can serve two masters, for he, either he will hate the one and love the other. He will stick by the one and look down on the other. You cannot serve God and money. So let me go back to verse 9 here. I say to you, make friends for yourself from the wealth of the world. So when it runs out, they will welcome you into eternal shelters. God helps those who help themselves. Jacob helped himself to prepare for hard times because he knew Laban was screwing him over. Not once, not twice, but ten times. And he knew he had to have some sort of nest egg for him and his family. And so he employed his, his worldly wisdom... For good. So we need to be educated. We need to keep up what's going on in the world. We need to understand what the, what the politicians are saying and what they're saying between the lines, what the news is saying and what the news is saying between the lines so that we won't be fooled because to be perfectly honest with you, the politicians and the news broadcast are flat out lying to you at this point. So you've got to be wise. And in, in, in your dealings with the world, You've got to be learned. You've got to be wise. Scripture will tell you a lot of things, but it's a spiritual book. And it will even help you with some materialistic, physical things, but it's mostly a spiritual book. If you're going to learn about accounting, you might be able to pick up a few things from the Bible about accounting because it talks about it. But you're not going to learn the trade of accounting by just reading your Bible. you got to go to school to become an accountant. If you want to be an astronomer, the Bible has a lot to say about astronomy. 
But if you want to be an astronomer, you got to go to school to be an astronomer. The Bible talks about using oils to heal people, talks about doctors. But yet, if you're going to perform brain surgery, you can't use the Bible as your text to become a brain surgeon. You've got to go to school. So there's something to be said about worldly wisdom. So even in Judaism, where all of the children are brought up from childhood to graduation in Hebrew school, they are told to go to a university and get worldly learning, but they already have the foundational basis that they're not going to stray from. And they grew up with that from childhood to graduation. We see Daniel do the same thing. Daniel was taken away when he was a young man, but he had the foundational learning that he knew was true and he, he wasn't going to let whatever he learned in the world sway him. So he spent three years in Babylonian University, being indoctrinated for three years in Babylonian University. But did he stray from his beliefs? No. Children that are raised in church will go off to university and they'll come back woke and as pagan and as liberal as all get out. Why? Because we did not train them or raise them well in our faith. Because they didn't have a solid foundation. So that's why it's a very important to have Christian schools and Messianic Jewish schools so that our kids will have a foundation so that when they go out into the world, they're not going to stray from it. Raise and train a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. When, when the Holocaust was over and the Jewish people were moving all across the world and establishing uh, their communities, one of the first things they started was schools because it's like, no, we're not going to give our children to the world. They looked at the world as Esau. They looked at the world as Molech. We're not going to sacrifice our children to Molech. We are going to educate them. And it's not just that they learned about the Bible. They learned reading, writing, and arithmetic. They learned all that they needed to learn, but they had the foundation so that when they went off into these secular universities to further their education to become doctors, because face it, a lot of great inventions and a lot of great uh, doctors and a lot of great scientists in this world are what? Jews. Because they're not stupid. But a lot of them keep the faith because they have their foundation in the word of God from their childhood and they don't stray from it. But all, they also have worldly wisdom from the universities and employ it in a way that betters humanity and that does good. So God helps those who help themselves. And we need to be educated people because that's the first thing that people think about when you're religious. Oh, if you're religious, you're superstitious, therefore you're a dummy. You're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. And we need to be like Paul who is well-versed. He can, he, can, he can debate with the rabbis just as equal as he could debate with the Greek philosophers. So we've got to be well-read people, but before we can become a well-read people, we've got to be a well-read people in the Word of God that that's our foundation, that's our truth that we do not stray from. So when you have the truth and you know the truth, you go out into the world and encounter a counterfeit, you know automatically, oh, that's just stupid. Okay, I know why I have to learn it, but I'm not going to believe it. That's like when I went to high school. I knew enough that evolution was crap, but I answered what they wanted on the test so I could pass, but I personally said, I'm not going to believe this crap. I know better. You know, so we have to learn things that we don't necessarily want to learn, but we don't have to believe everything that we learn. Just enough to, you know, pass our classes and enough to be like this shrewd manager and shrewd like Jacob in order that we can take care of ourselves when hard times come. 
because God helps those who help themselves. So I'll end with this very well-known illustration here. So we've, we've all heard this story, but it's worth telling again. All right. I mean, this is probably somewhere in Louisiana, you know, where Hurricane Katrina took place, right? Big floods, all this. So there's a flood that comes. And this guy, he's, he's so faithful to the Lord. He loves, believes God so much. He says, Lord, I believe you're going to save me from this flood. I'm not going to have to worry about it. So he sits in his house. The water starts pouring in through, uh, through the doors, rises up to his ankles. Somebody knocks on the door. Come on, we've got a, we've got a, big, you know, uh, a big SUV. We're all getting out of here. Come on. No, 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 no. That's all right. Lord's going to save me. So it's all right, whatever. So the guy leaves. Water starts coming up to his waist. You know, and he still believes the Lord's going to save him. Water comes up to his neck and he's having to, to you know, to, to, to kind of go outside now. And then the, a boat comes by and he's sitting there bobbing his head in the water. And there's a little John boat coming by and say, hey, hop on in. We'll get you out of here. No, 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 no. The Lord's going to save me. I believe and trust in the Lord. So it gets past his head, so he has to climb onto the roof and sit on the roof, and then now a helicopter comes by. Guy, we gotta get you out of here. Here, we're gonna pull, we're gonna throw down this ladder. You climb up and we'll get you to save. No, 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 no. The Lord's gonna save me. And then all of a sudden the, the, the water goes past the roof and the guy drowns. He finds himself in heaven. He's like, Lord, I believed in you, I trusted in you. I thought you were going to save me from this flood. Why did I die and end up here? He says, What are you talking about? He said, I sent the SUV, and then not, not only that, but I sent the boat, and then I sent the helicopter. That was my way of saving you, and you didn't save it. So don't be so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. So you've got to balance out your spiritual, spirituality with your worldly materialistic learning and how to learn how to you know, let them coincide and work in sync together. Because just because it's secular education doesn't mean that it's evil. You have to eat it like a fish, eat the meat and spit out the bones. It's not all for us and it's not all good, but there's enough good in it that we can uh, be smart people so that God will help us. Why? Because we're helping ourselves. We choose to be educated. We choose to be wise. We choose to be smart. All right, let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word and how that is the basis of our life and our existence on how to love you, how to please you, how to live. But Lord, we thank you, Lord, for people who have expertise in, in other matters. And sometimes we, we go to school to educate ourselves in those things. But if we have our foundation right, we don't have to worry about what el whatever else we learn. We can, we can sift through it and take what is true and leave out what is false. So, Lord, help us in this dark day and age where there's a lot of misinformation, a lot of falsehood out there to turn us and to twist us and to, and to make us stray. Help us to be like Daniel, that no matter what comes our way education-wise, that we will stand upon the foundation of the Word of God and not be swayed or turned like a lot of youth today that go off to university. They went off as good kids. They went off as spiritual kids, but they come back liberal, woke, and just, you know, like they just check their brain at the door and then they no longer believe in you. And we know that hard times are coming and we've got to be smart. We've got to be wise. So help us, Lord, to prepare like Noah, to stand like Daniel, and expect to be provided for like Elijah. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We ask these things in Yeshua's name.
Amen. Amen. Think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle will no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whoever therefore shall break one of the least of these commandments and teach men to do so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that except your righteousness exceeds that of the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven.